I don't need help. I'm not in an abusive relationship. This is just how it is for us. It's a lie we tell ourselves, one that many in abusive relationships repeat until they believe it. But there's hope. Welcome to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship, a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence. This show is about hope. You will hear from survivors of abuse, and their stories may sound familiar. They may even inspire hope. Our goal is to connect with others in these toxic relationships to offer that hope, and with supporters of our mission, anyone willing to help get rid of abuse in our culture. We also talk with the experts in the field, from the officers on the front lines of domestic abuse calls to the therapists and advocates helping survivors navigate this complicated road of recovery. If you're in need of help, please visit our website or call our 24-7 hotline, 800-828-2023. And if this is an emergency and you need help immediately, please call 911. Thank you for joining us once again as we bring you I Am Not In An Abusive Relationship and as many of us in February, hopefully, um, are thinking that we are not in abusive relationships. And I know we celebrate uh, Valentine's Day and other holidays. I don't know, Groundhog's Day, that might be a romantic holiday. Probably not, but you know, winter, some people really like winter. So at any rate, uh, in February, and especially this February, when we're all sort of hunkered down and at home, um, looking at different kinds of relationships that people either celebrate or are struggling with. Uh, we have Elizabeth Alderson with us today and she is a therapist with DASIS and also a licensed master social worker. So welcome today. We're happy to talk with you again, Liz. Thanks for having me. Always. And uh, today, since we're uh, looking at February, we're gonna talk a little bit about couples and couples counseling. Mm-hmm. Is that something that um, you do that that DASIS offers? Or it's not. Yeah, so um, we actually don't offer, offer couples therapy at all. So um, the therapy approach that we take is we work with um, that survivor, you know, of domestic violence or of intimate partner violence. Obviously, we will we'll work with a family, you know, if it's if it's a parent and their children who have, you know, kind of witnessed maybe abuse or, um, you know, if a child has experienced abuse and the parents might need support in that, if the parents are together and they weren't the abusers, you know, we might offer some, some individual kind of components of some family therapy, but strictly couples counseling, we don't offer at all. Well, I bet, I bet there's a reason as to yeah. why you don't offer that. Yeah. So um, it's actually, well, a few different reasons, but the main reason of that we don't offer couples counseling is um, because it's not an appropriate therapeutic approach for domestic violence or for maybe the broader term, in, term intimate partner violence. So, you know, when violence is happening between two intimate partners, um, couples therapy is not going to be effective for that relationship. I think a lot of therapists across the board within the past, um, I would say definitely like 10 to 15 years really will recognize that. Um, unfortunately, you know, it takes a while for like the education system to kind of follow that trend 
Mm-hmm. You know, so as therapists continue to graduate from from higher education, um, that's really being taught for a variety of reasons. Um, but yeah, the prominent reason that we don't do it is because it is not effective when there is violence in the between the relationship. Uh, encouraging them to stay together, which could lead to the violence just continuing, I would think. Yeah. And some of the, so part of it is, yes, like if there is violence in the relationship, one of those people at DASIS, we would call one of those people the assailant. So that is the person who is committing the violence in the relationship. And that other person is the victim of that violence. And at DASIS, we don't work with assailants of violence because we can't. Our funding doesn't allow that. We're funded by VOCA, which at the federal level is Victims of Crime Act. So we work with victims of crimes, not assailants of crimes. Um, So that's part of the reason. And that gets mucky for a lot of reasons we won't talk about in this intimate partner relationship kind of couples counseling. So part of it is we just can't work with that abuser because they're, they're perpetrating the violence. Also a component that then kind of falls into that is that's not a safe place for us. That might be a place for a specific couples counselor, couples therapist. She might, she or he might be working with a couple and realize, oh, there's some things here that are much deeper than relationship issues because violence isn't a relationship issue. That's a personal issue with that person perpetrating it. And so that's a little different. But if I were to bring in a couple to DASIS, they would know that we work with domestic and sexual abuse survivors. And to an assailant, I am not going to be a friendly person to them. And they know that not because I'm not friendly, but they're going to be on on edge against me because they're like, I don't trust her. She's going to, you know, turn you against me or, you know, they're, they're going to know, you know, assailants don't like domestic and sexual abuse services for a variety of reasons. We support their victims and they become survivors. And so, well, and you can't possibly condone what a perpetrator is doing. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And so, um, in, in counseling, they're going to receive that kind of very brunt information of like, no, this isn't okay. You know, there are moments when I'm, when I'm talking with survivors about other things and they'll talk about experiences they had in childhood and we would define that as child abuse. And they'd be like, well, that was just the way my mom and dad treated me. And we'll take a pause and say, no, like that's child abuse. Like that's not something you should have to live with or, you know, continue in your life. And so there are moments in therapy when we do have to confront very, um, not forcefully, but very abruptly and say, okay, let's challenge that thought there. And let's see what other kind of thoughts we can have around it, because that that isn't something all of us would probably agree with, you know, maybe only the perpetrator. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's the hard part. And I guess I should say that none of this is, none of this conversation is to demean people who um, specialize in couples counseling because they're doing real couples counseling. We're talking about a very specific couple that may come into couples therapy where there is actual abuse happen, you know, happening. You know, a lot of couples counselors and therapists out there in the world 
are learning how to recognize domestic violence and they're learning to stop couples counseling and to then offer what a lot of them have done is they will offer then individual therapy to each person when they recognize one of these people is actually abusive. Um, they'll start doing individual and really they'll be working with that victim person to try to like encourage them and support them in like this, you know, this relationship really isn't that healthy, healthy. So there are some fantastic couples therapists out there. I don't want this to seem like discrediting to that whole world of therapy at all. Well, and it, interestingly enough, couples therapists or couples would go to therapy um, usually, well, I don't know, would they ever have been like court appointed therapy? Probably not. So they would go there because, or would they? Some do. Yeah. For a variety of reasons. Um, I know a few therapists within our counties that see couples that are court appointed, um, for couples counseling and stuff. And it's usually more substance related uh -huh. than it is, um, specifically like domestic violence and stuff. And sometimes it's related around kids when the children are experiencing some things, and then the courts realize the parents are experiencing some things. Maybe they need to work on their relationship, but again, it's usually not as intense of relationship issues that turn into actual domestic violence and interpersonal violence. So do you have um, victims working towards becoming survivors or, or working through these relationships who think that maybe if they just try a little bit of, of couples counseling, that might fix things and the perpetrator will, you know, see the error of their ways and things will get better and those kinds of situations. Absolutely. And that right there is the danger of couples counseling. Because yes, that that survivor, that victim in the relationship is saying like, I want this relationship. I care about you. I love you. I want this relationship to work. I'll do anything. You know, and eventually that assailant is like, yeah, let's go to couples counseling. A lot of times it's the assailant's idea to go because again, they're using all of that power and control wheel and especially typically gaslighting, which is like making that person feel they're crazy to say like, we need this because like, you've got some stuff going on and I want to help you with this stuff. And so they'll go to couples counseling with that intention of like, this, you know, what we would call victim survivor is going through some stuff like let's help her or him. And then what happens in that therapy role is that's what they assume, right? As therapists, we are taught to be client-centered, client-focused, client goals. So we're like, yes, this person has self-said they've got issues going on. Their partner says their issues. Let's work on this person's issues. But that, that danger is that that, that victim has no issue. Well, I mean, they have some issues, but the issue in the relationship is the assailant. And so now blame has been placed on our victim saying it's your fault. The relationship is broken. It's your fault. The relationship isn't working. It's your fault. Your partner is physically abusive to you when it's not, we know that it's not. But if we, if we walk into a session with that kind of preconceived notion, we're then placing all of this unneeded unwanted blame on our victims and also if the therapist is thinking um that the perpetrator is seeking to to improve things and you know letting that victim know well look i'm going to counseling i'm trying to help this all get better so if it's not getting better 
then it certainly wouldn't be my fault. It must be your fault. Mm-hmm. Placing blame again, or, or doubly placing blame even. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And the hard part is too, you know, as therapists, we only know what comes in to, you know, our sessions, you know, now we're using a lot of teletherapy resources, but I'd say before, you know, we only know what comes into our office, you Mm -hmm. know, you know, it's unethical for us to go online and start searching about our clients. You know, the only information we can ethically gain from our clients is the information they tell us. It's not our job to go checking what they share with us. And so, you know, hopefully a, um, a couples counselor, and like I said, I know many of them that do this would recognize like, hey, there's some unhealthy patterns here that aren't just couples issues that, it, that you know, would then define domestic or sexual violence or intimate partner violence. But it's, yeah, it's those things of, oh, it's all this person's fault. And so then they're feeling that way. They're like, they're owning that, oh, this is all my fault. You know, my therapist is telling me it's my fault now. Now it's not just my partner, it's my... It's my therapist too. And, and then I think the hard part too is we go to therapy because we want to see results, right? I mean, do we do anything without the desire to see results? Right. You know, and so, so then if they end up with things to work on and they try to work on them and that's obviously not going to improve the relationship. So then there's even more failure on top of that. Yeah. So now I'm spinning my wheels. I'm doing everything my therapist tells me to do to make myself better and to make my relationship better. But my partner still hits me and still calls me names and still throws things at me. And I might be terrified to tell my therapist because here's the other dangerous part is in couples counseling. The three of you are always in the room together. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to be vulnerable and tell my therapist you know, well, I, I didn't do what you asked me to do because, you know, they were up all night screaming and yelling and crying at me or, you know, all these, you know, whatever's going on in their relationship, they're not going to be vulnerable and honest with the therapist about what's really going on because their abuser is sitting right next to them, you know, Sure. and anything they might share is going to be kind of through that same lens. You think about it, you know, well, what attracted you to so-and-so or why do you stay in the relationship or just different things? Do you enjoy their family or you think about the holidays? Are you guys going to spend holidays with both sides of the families or something? All those questions that victim before they ever respond has to think, what is my assailant who's sitting in the room with me going to say? And what is the repercussion of what I say to this therapist going to be when I go home? Because the therapist doesn't go home with them. Right. You know, so if they say anything that the other person doesn't like, you know, well, why were you, you know, so emotional the other day when, you know, the assailant's kind of talking about something when you were screaming off the handles back at him. Well, you can't tell him what brought you to that madness because you you can't blame them because you're going to go home and they're going to say, well, let me show you what it's like. You know, there's, there's always kind of that side and who knows what's even um, said before they go into couples counseling, you know, Mm -hmm. don't mention anything about blah, 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 because you know, what's going to happen when we go home. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. You used a term a little earlier, gaslighting. Mm -hmm. I'm not exactly sure what that would be. Yeah. So gaslighting is one of the 
as new terms kind of come out, we kind of like add them to um, the domestic violence um, power and control wheel. Um, and so gaslighting is a newer term. Um, I can't tell you exactly when it came out, but it's definitely probably, I would say I've seen domestic violence and sexual assault agencies using it within the last like 10 years maybe. But so it's making a person Really, I mean, the hard word to use is, I always say, it makes, it makes a person feel crazy, really. And so many survivors will say, I felt crazy. I felt insane. But it's all about creating, basically, in the victim. It's manipulating them so much so that they lose sense of what's real and what's not real. And so they're really... Mm -hmm literally dealing with like, am I going crazy? Am I nuts? And they will say these words, you know, when they come to us at Dasis, they'll be like, I just, I always thought I was crazy because they'll play those kind of games, you know, and I've seen gaslighting verbally and I've seen it physically. I have heard, I've had clients with me talking about how they would go into the kitchen and their glasses would be in one shelf and their plates would be in another shelf and bowl, you know, how your kitchen cabinets are organized. They would go to bed, they would wake up the next morning, and the dishes would be in different places. Wow. And they thought they were losing their mind because they, every day they wake up and things would be different. Furniture would be rearranged. And then when they would wake up and they would say like, where are the bowls? I can't find the bowls anymore. And their partner would be like, what do you mean? They're over there where they've always been, you know, because they would be right. like, I didn't do those things. Like, what are you talking about? You might, you know, wow. and so they're putting those ideas. And so it's not always verbally, because sometimes the verbal thing is like, I never said that. I never did that. Like, what are you talking about? We didn't go over to Sally's house yesterday. Like, you don't remember, you know, it's, it can be like physical things too. And I, I had a, I had a few different clients that things were moved. Like they'd go to work and they'd come back and furniture would be completely changed. Pictures on the wall would be moved. It'd be like a totally different house. And it wasn't like, Hey babe, I'm moving furniture. You know, when you come back, it was just like, what do you mean? The furniture's always been this way. Wow. That's so premeditated and so cruel, really. I mean, just that power and control again that you've mm -hmm. referred to. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And it's that like that, just that psychological manipulation and mind games that really then turn in, internal. And you could see where if you lived that long in a relationship in which gaslighting was happening, you as a victim of survivor would, would want to go to counseling and probably couples counseling because you're like, man, I feel so bad for my partner. Like I'm putting them through hell. I can't remember where the dishes are and where the vacuum is and where we keep our food and all those things. You know, you might be really feeling down on yourself. And so then you go to couples counseling and then that therapist might be reaffirming that, you know, they're not necessarily purposely gaslighting, but they might be reaffirming your own thoughts of your insanity, craziness, just not having a grasp on like what is here and what is there, because mm -hmm. like that, they only know what comes into them. They don't go, mm -hmm. that, you know, the assailants move and everything around when you're asleep. Oh, sure. And they're certainly not going to admit to it, of course. Mm -hmm. And then the, the victim ends up depending even more heavily on the perpetrator because mm -hmm. of all of the situations that they're surrounded by mm -hmm. from the therapist, from the perpetrator, probably from family members. Like mm -hmm. I'm sure, you know, well, she can't remember where this is or that. And I say she, I don't necessarily mean she, but um, 
yeah, I can see where it would just be a spinning circle. Mm -hmm. And that's, and that's the main reason really why it be, why couples counseling becomes ineffective for couples who are experiencing domestic violence or intimate partner violence, because you're basically three people jumping on a hamster wheel and running around this circle and you're never talking about what's actually happening that domestic violence because that perpetrator doesn't want to talk about it that victim isn't safe to talk about it the therapist doesn't know what's happening and so they're kind of just running around this wheel you know dipping into different things but it's never really causing healing for the for the relationship because no one no one's being truthful or vulnerable in those situations and that relationship is not likely to heal Mm -hmm. so if if someone's listening and and they're being encouraged to participate or they're participating in couples therapy um how would they extricate themselves from that or is it even possible Mm -hmm. i think uh, um a safe avenue to take always is um, offering, like asking for an individual session. So saying like, hey, you know, you gave me some really great tips. I appreciate that. I'd like to practice it. But can we meet, you know, alone in between before our next group session? So say you're meeting, you know, every Wednesday for group. Can I come in on Monday for just like a half an hour? So you can like, re-encourage me? Because again, you know, like, if so that assailant is obviously in the room and watching and stuff, you know, and so, and so, you know, making it about me, right. I don't actually believe it's the victim's fault, but if we play pretend that it is me, I just need extra help. You know, do we play along with the game? Then when I come in for individual, now is it safe? And I can say, look, this is what's really happening. And I need your help to get out of it. You need to continue to play silly and, you know, when we come back in, but I need you, I need you to know that like, this is what's actually happening. And this is why I can't be vulnerable and truthful with you because like, I go home with this person, mm-hmm. you know, right. so that's always a great right. step. If you can, um, you know, even if you can have a phone session with them in which when the assailant isn't around you, you know, even if you could call and be like, Hey, can we have a phone session and scheduling that phone appointment for a time when that assailant isn't around to have a one-on-one conversation with that therapist as well. You know, if you, with that couples counselor, you could always also ask for um, to see another individual, maybe if they're a multi-person practice, you know, private practice in our area typically has many therapists working together, especially with families. Um, you know, somebody will see mom and somebody will see dad and somebody will see each kid. Um, and so even asking like, hey, I realize that I just need extra help, you know, and I'm wondering, do you have another therapist I could work with on some of my individual stuff so that I can be a better partner for my partner? Again, then there's someone again that now I'm alone with that I could be truthful with mm-hmm. and sharing what's actually happening. And that, that would indicate that obviously the, the victim is beginning to realize that they need to get out of that situation, change that situation. Um, have you had referrals from a couple's therapist saying, this is not what it seems to be. We need some kind of intervention from a different angle. Yes, I have. Yeah. I've had 
it, I've had it from couples counselors. I've had it from um, people who were seeing a couple because of substance use related issues and really recognized that there was some stuff going on. And they did that same thing I kind of talked about. They were like, hey, do you want to do just like a short little check-in half hour before our group? You come in a little early and we just talk about a little thing. And then, you know, your partner can come in and they ask those pros being questions. Is it safe at home? Is it really like they're not here right now and asking those questions? And then they asked, do you want to continue um, individual work by themselves? And so I had, a, I've had a few clients that did individual then with their couples therapist, and then recognizing there was more work to do and that that couples therapist was kind of um, reaching the end of their, of their professional limits. Cause you know, we're all trained in specific things, you know? And so, um, so they were reaching their limit. And so they reached out to me and offered, you know, and so then I started meeting with those victims, um, during those relationships and stuff. And so, yeah, absolutely. We've had it probably more than you would think too, because we've had it also, even before we offered therapy at DASIS, um, couples therapists would work with our agency and just like, Hey, I don't, I think this is what's happening in this relationship. Can you give me more information on what is domestic violence and what I should be looking for? Cause remember, you know, although we know domestic violence has been going on for decades, for centuries, the world, you know, hasn't really accepted that it's still a very stigma focused conversation to have. And so it wasn't openly talked about even in, you know, graduate level work of people training to be therapists. Now it is, they have specific classes at where I went to school for working with intimate partner violence relationships, like a whole class. It's an elective course. Anyone could take it who wants it, but now they specialize in these topics. But I would have to take that course. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, and so it's that piece. We know more, but we, yeah, we've had tons of therapists um, throughout our area reach out just for more information. How do I work with these people? Can I keep working with these people? What should I do? Having those kinds of questions, because I don't expect anybody in the world to be an expert on everything that exists. I mean, there are so many things a person could bring into therapy. Right. So, so would a couples therapist then be required to report out a suspicion or begin to move to a process where they would be able to get the victim some help? Or is that pretty much within therapy? I know pretty much you can, you can know that if you're going to tell a therapist something, it's not going to go anywhere but the room. So their hands may be tied with this. I don't know. Yeah. So they're not required by any kind of law or anything like that to then refer out. Um, obviously, if the, if the abuse is um, enough where the therapist is concerned that they that one of the people is physically unsafe, they can report to APS. So in Michigan, it's called APS, Adult Protective Services, um, because I'm assuming that they're an adult in the relationship. If they were working with two teenagers in a relationship and there was violence, they should call CPS, you know, Child Protective Services sure. in Michigan. I know states call those things different. So that's why I said in Michigan, because Indiana calls them something different. Um, and they're just across border from us. Um, 
But so they have, you know, those things. We have an obligation to report child abuse and neglect. And, you know, we, we have a strong obligation to, to report adult mm-hmm. abuse or, you know, that we are experienced that considers vulnerable adults as well, as well as the elderly. Um, ethically, depending mm-hmm. on what um, degree a therapist has, because there are many different educational avenues mm-hmm. you can navigate to get a degree in therapy. Um, but so, so I'm a social worker, so I have an ethical code according to social work. And so part of our ethical code is when we are no longer fit for a situation. So I don't have training in infant mm-hmm. mental health. I have no training in infant mental health. So I will never be offering services unless I go get training for infants and their mental health. It's a very specialized situation. And so I may work with some kids and some teenagers and some parents, but when those parents are like, hey, I have this younger child, who then it fits into that infant kind of category because it's a few years, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and hey, would you provide their, them therapy? I have an ethical obligation. It's not a legal law, but I have an ethical obligation to say, you know, I am not trained in this area, nor am I comfortable in this area, and then to refer out. So it's not necessarily a law or anything, but they do have an ethical obligation when they are, when that couple's counselor is now in a situation when they're like, I am not equipped for this need that the clients have, you know, to reach out. And that's the beauty of having agencies like us is you can reach out to us and our advocates will come and give you resources. You know, we've gone to many people's offices to drop off brochures and handouts and um, red flags and green flag kind of warning signs and relationships um, and all kinds of posters, 1-800 cards, even our own, you know, business cards with different, you know, advocates and therapists names and numbers on them and stuff, because, you know, we know in this world, there are so many issues going on. Again, I don't expect anyone to be an expert in everything. And as a community, especially at DASIS, we believe it's a community effort to end mm-hmm. domestic and sexual violence. We can't do it on our own. We need the support of everyone in our community. And so we're willing to partner with other people to say, hey, let's do this together, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. And of course, it does always come down to the decision that that the victim is going to make um, to better that situation and to begin to to become a survivor instead Mm -hmm. of a victim. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's. It's hard because I think, too, when the only therapy you've ever received or counseling you've ever received was couples counseling and you were in a domestic violence relationship, you're going to have a bad taste of therapy, right? And so Absolutely. Us, we, we work really hard against the stigma of, you know, therapy. I had a client within the past few weeks tell me they had seen another therapist before they'd met with me. And they said, I didn't believe in your line of work before I met my other therapist, I thought, you know, I went, but I didn't go believing I knew that nothing was going to happen. There was going to be no help. You know, I thought it was all mumbo jumbo. Mm-hmm. Kind of Obviously, as a believer now, because they're seeking out their own therapist, you know, a second, oh, good. you know, but so there's that stigma of like this person didn't believe me, didn't care about me, sided with that other person. You know, I tried to give all these wink, wink signs of like, they're crazy. And you didn't pick up on that. So there could be a lot of um, hurt done that was never intentional. 
emotional by that counselor or therapist. And and the situation could have even gotten worse because mm-hmm. of yeah, uh, absolutely counseling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the real danger. And of course, the therapist, you know, again, it's it's unknowing to them. They might not recognize or know what's happening in that relationship. And so, again, this isn't to blame any of those couples counselors out there because there are some fantastic ones who recognize those signs and then realize like this is this isn't you know couples issues this is an assailant issue and that that needs different work and so we're very thankful for the many couples counselors out there who recognize that right and couples counseling can be very effective if that's what is needed but if you are in a situation with domestic violence or intimate partner violence then seeking another route is really what you need to do. And hopefully we'll come to that point where that is what you do, whether it's with ASIS or, or with a, someone, some other route to, to make yourself safe, your family safe, and to get yourself out of that situation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you all for joining us today. Uh, Liz, thank you. As always an eye opening discussion. I, I, learn so much every time we are together talking Um, and for those of you listening please reach out our 800 number 800-828-2023 and asismi.org thank you thank you for listening to i'm not in an abusive relationship if these stories resonate with you and you need help please visit our website dasasmi.org that's dasasmi.org or call our hotline at 800-828-2023. We are here to walk alongside you. Now, if you know someone who might benefit from our show, please share it. Social media, email, simply telling someone about it, all help us spread the word and help us to combat domestic and sexual violence. We also welcome financial and volunteer support. That information is on our website. Thank you to the staff, volunteers, and board of directors at Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services. This podcast is produced with the help of a committee of dedicated advocates. Thank you to WBET Radio in Sturgis, Michigan for the use of their studio. This has been a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence and a production of Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services of Michigan.